Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Lockdown Canadiens, your favorite podcast of the team that only exclusively loses to the Detroit Red Wings. I am your host, I am Scott Matla, and I am joined as always by the active stick, Laura Saba. Laura, how are you coping with a seven straight loss and a third straight loss to a team actively trying to be bad? I am going to need a 36-page essay from the Montreal Canadiens explaining why they like to get hemmed in or how they managed to get hemmed in their own zone by the Detroit Red Wings. Well, the answer is because they're not a playoff team. As our frenemy of the show, Will Chris, put it on Twitter, Imagine losing to this year's Detroit Red Wings three times and still thinking you're a playoff team. And quite frankly, Will might be the worst person both of us know, but he's actually correct here in that after this game, we talked a lot about patience and tanking and this and that and the other thing. And after this game tonight, I got to go. It's I just don't see it. I know that we're waiting on players to come back, but losing 4-3 giving up four five-on-five goals to the worst offensive team in the NHL, managing just one five-on-five goal of your own, and generally looking like a bad team out there against one who is actively trying to be bad, I I just don't see it in the cards for the Canadians. And the game as a whole was just tough to watch. And there was a point in time when they were up 2-1, I go, you know what? I don't even care that they're getting, you know, blown off the ice right now by a bad team. Just get the win and get out of there and go into the weekend with anything, any kind of momentum at all. And they didn't manage to do that either. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit upset. Well, not a little bit upset. I'm not upset at all, to be honest. I kind of I kind of expected this as soon as I said yesterday. Bold prediction: the Habs are going to actually beat Detroit. I should not have said anything, but I did. And then, you know, once I did say that, I was like, oh, they're totally going to lose now. To Detroit, they are the only team this season that has lost all of their games against such a bad team. And so, we, we you know, there were some fun numbers being floated around on Twitter. Uh, Dmitry Filipovic, who has the podcast, the PDO cast. It's an awesome podcast, and he usually gets really great guests, and I totally encourage people to check it out. But uh, he said that 27.3 of the total wins the Detroit Red Wings have had this year have been against the Montreal Canadiens. And Arvon Basu pointed out that against Montreal, the Wings are obviously 3-0-0 against the rest of the league, like the entire rest of the league, they are 8-30-3. So again, I'm going to need an essay on the Habs about whether or not they're pleased with themselves at this turn of events. I truly, it is the second night of a back-to-back. They play down to their opponents, blah, blah, blah. But they made Detroit look like a world-class team. Like I, I can't explain that. And it's so frustrating because it's a game where Nick Suzuki scored, always an awesome thing. Victor Mete scored, always an awesome thing. Ilya Kovchuk had two assists on really nice plays in a game. 
and they lost. And it's like, I can't even enjoy the good things you idiots did on the ice because you're ruining my life with the rest of it. I, and I think that's the most soul crushing part of a game like this. It's like, there are so many little things they did right that get wiped out by all the rest of everything else. And it's just little mental errors in this entire game, a bad line change, someone not picking up someone coming back, you know, poor clearing efforts, things like that. It's got to be frustrating for Claude Julien, who, uh, as of right now when we're recording this, is not having the uh, most cheerful of post-game press conferences right now. He's talking about commitment and execution and everything. And I don't blame him for being upset. It's not there from the team right now. And for a team that got so hot in the middle of December and at the beginning of December to suddenly have, like, regressed back to where they were during their previous heavy losing streak eight games back in November, what is the head coach supposed to do? You thought you've rounded the corner and then all of a sudden, you know, your legs get cut out from underneath you again. You don't have your star players. You're just trying to figure out what works. When the best player on a given night is a 36-year-old guy you just signed a week ago, there might be some deeper issues with the players just not executing or not being fully in the game. And I think that's kind of an issue because there's a lot of season left, and this has the potential to get really ugly and really toxic if everything goes wrong. Yeah, it's definitely something that they need to – the attitude is 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 one thing for me and and you know it's not just the coach that has to think about it the the gm needs to think about you know he did, he did all those that that trade bonanza that we talked about or you talked about and then signing Ilya Kovalchuk like those are they're not um i want to say like they're impactful moves you know what i mean like we talked about uh a lot of times like what they'll do is they'll trade somebody you know in the bottom 6 or uh, they'll trade somebody in the AHL or they'll trade like a, a, like a defenseman that's like, you know, maybe like a lower pairing or something like that just to shake things up, to send a message to the team, that kind of thing. But then the, the Ilya Kovalchuk thing is a splash, like to sign somebody so good for so little money with such a big question mark on his play. Like that's something that's, that's a big move that the GM made. So at this point, like, you know, you kind of have to worry about a little bit about the, the coaching situation, not necessarily Claude Julian, like, you know, where we are a very uh, pro Claude Julian podcast at the moment. Uh, and, and uh, like, I, I truly think he is one of the better coaches in the NHL that, that would ever be available to the Habs. And they clearly thought so too, when he became available, but something's going wrong in strategy. Something, something is not right. Something is not adding up. So I guess maybe that's something that we need to talk about. Like what, what do you do if you are the front office as a whole? Yeah. And we'll touch on that coming up in our next event. Someone's eventually someone's going to take the blame for this. And we're going to try and get to who exactly, you know, should be taking the fall for this one. And we'll get to that right in our next segment. We touched on it a little bit at the end of our first segment there and that the coaching staff seems to be doing all that they're doing or all that they can and aren't getting quite the results that they needed. The players are, you know, giving an effort but aren't getting the results that they're looking for. At least some of them aren't anyways. And eventually at some point, when you have separate losing streaks of eight and seven games and potentially more with this one going forward, 
someone has to take the fall for how things are going. Mark Bergevin has already started doing his part. He's tried to shuffle things up with some moves. He, you know, traded for Marco Scandella. He signed Ilya Kovalchuk. He's moved guys up and down. He waved Christian Follin. He's trying to figure out something. He's trying to give Claude Julien the best pieces he can. He's calling up guys from the AHL, at least the ones that are healthy. And Claude Julien is just shuffling his lineup and doing what he can with a decimated top six. It just kind of makes you wonder... At what point does someone kind of, you know, turn this to the ownership, like not Mark Bergevin, the actual ownership of the team and go, how is this acceptable? How is the team has won 24 Stanley Cups and used to not be able to go two or three years without a cup suddenly, you know, okay with if they make the playoffs, we're great. That shouldn't be the bar in Montreal. And I understand that league parity is so different nowadays from what it used to be. But no team should be okay with, well, we just squeaked into the playoffs. I think we're good going forward. I don't think that should be acceptable for any team outside of maybe an expansion franchise or a team that's rebuilding. And it shouldn't be acceptable for a team that, you know, for the past two years has promised, we've got everything we needed, we're going to make the playoffs, and then looks to be falling short yet again. I think that... There's, it's a, it's a very complicated, precarious kind of situation. I think both of us have discussed, not on the podcast, but I think as the season goes on, it's going to come up. If the Canadians don't make the playoffs this year, we're really sure that Mark Bergevin is going to get fired. But we kind of have to think about also, like, what do you do if you are Molson? Because for a very long time, the Canadians were considered a foolproof, uh, you know, I guess suck proof. If, if that's, that's, that's a term now since we make up words on this podcast, you know, they would still sell out even when they weren't making the playoffs, especially like if you think about like the, you know, mid to mid two thousands and stuff like they had this massive sellout streak, even though for a large part of it, they sucked. They were not good. They barely made the playoffs. You know, the Canadians always we're making money and eventually over the years up until this year, you think about how the prices have gone up. They basically priced a lot of people out of Habs games. A lot of people can't go. And if they can go by themselves, they can't take their families. If you just think about how much it costs. And for the first time this year, you know, a lot of media had talked about it for the first time this year, you're seeing ads for Canadians tickets on the subway. That's kind of unheard of in this city. And then, you know, the team isn't selling out. That's also unheard of in this city. And I will say that, you know, for a lot of owners, sports teams are vanity projects. Like I, you know, we talked uh, with in our group chat about uh, Jim Balsillian and how he kept trying to get a, a hockey team and move him to Hamilton. You know, like there's a lot of vanity in that, and that kind of thing involved in owning a franchise. A lot of franchises, especially particularly in the NFL, I would say, and teams like, you know, the Rangers or Toronto, like teams that bring in a lot of money, those are often financial investments. But in a city like Montreal, it's not just that. It's not a vanity project. It's not an investment. It is part of the fabric of the city. And so it's a huge, massive responsibility. It sounds so pretentious when I say it, but anybody who is from Montreal, anybody who's followed this team, anybody who knows the history will understand exactly the feeling that I'm talking about. Montreal, like the Habs are Montreal. They're part of the fabric of the, of, of the city. 
And so you have a massive responsibility as an owner to make it the best you can possibly make it and keep people wanting to love it. You know, you talked about how crappy they were <laughs> in the 90s and then they came back and, and, and you know, like they, they brought their fans back. They, they had people interested and excited again. And I, I, I know that every year in, in the spring when they don't make the playoffs, like the city is a lot more subdued. If you, you could pull it up, if you Google it, you could pull up so many articles every time they don't make the playoffs. You know, people will go out and interview the bars and restaurants around the Bell Center and that kind of thing and talk about their bottom line gets really affected by how the Habs do. That's how important it is to the city. So what do you do if you're Molson? Well, like Mark Bergevin is showing signs of smart management at the moment. But he, you know, he handcuffed himself way back. So what do you do? Do you make him pay for his earlier mistakes? Do you think, okay, now that he's learned from them and is making a lot of smart moves and is overall, you know, I would say it's overall positive. Do you give him another chance? Do you insist? Do you, you know, give the, give him a longer leash? Do you insist that he spent to the cap? Do you... You know, you, you don't know. And, and then if they get if they get rid of Mark Bergevin, if they fire Mark Bergevin, who do they hire? Like, who, who's waiting in the wings to become, you know, I, I truly like I, I don't have an explanation for that. And so I am very glad I'm not John Moulton at the moment. I, w- I would like his, you know, his financial situation, but <laughs> definitely not his 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 responsibility as the owner of the hab. So I think, I think that's something that, you know, we need to talk about. We need to think about, like you, you need to have better standards for the Montreal Canadians, like this team in particular. And, and it's not, I'm, I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying like, you know, this team is, is, is unique. It is like the situation of this team, the relationship it has with the city and the fans is unique. There are, are avid sports fans everywhere. There are fanatical sports fans everywhere. But it's very rare that an identity of an entire community is wrapped up in a single sports team. So, yeah, I, I don't envy. I don't envy Molson at all. No. And like we said, we talked about it. It's like, does Bergevin need to go out and spend a ton of money and bring in whoever the heck he wants? But, you know, that ruins the cap situation for a few years of glory. It's not an easy answer. And that's kind of, you know... The unfortunate Ouroboros situation that Bergevin is in is if he does one thing, is he just ending up eating his own tail at the other side of it by losing prospects or losing cap space and being forced to, you know, cut bait on players, you know, in the future like we've seen other teams have to do. But at the same time, the city lives and breeds Canadians. When the Canadians are great and we know that they're great, the city is so vibrant and alive with the passion for the team. But right now, apathy's kind of setting in. You hear about, you know, not selling games out. And just the Bell Center seems different and quiet. And it's a little bit disheartening. I mean, I haven't been a Canadians fan as long as, you know, many other people that I know. But I know what an alive Bell Center and Habs fan base sounds like. I was there for 2014 and 2010, and some of these other runs where you can feel that energy in the building, and it's just kind of sucked out of it. And the worst thing that could happen for a team is the fan base is apathetic, and they don't care anymore. Because even when the team's good again, someone just kind of goes, oh, okay, the Canadians are good, that's cool, and they won't go or do anything. 
that's how you end up in a bad situation. You have to change. We talked about changing the culture, but that's the biggest thing is if you can't get the fan base back on your side and you just kind of have accepted mediocrity as an owner, you've lost your fan base. And I think we're treading on a very fine line for Molson right now. Fans are, like you said, it's kind of priced out to a lot of people. Even, you know, I was lucky to get tickets on the secondary market for a game, my only game that I went to at the Bell Center, and I got those at a discount through a friend. I look at the price of some of these tickets, and it's no wonder that people aren't going because you can't afford it, which is why it's also nice there is an AHL team just up, you know, the Metro in Laval, which, by the way, go support the Rocket. They're in the playoff hunt, but that's neither here nor there. It's just such – it feels like we're walking on the prep, precipice of something, you know, major happening with this team. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like it's a balancing act that's going to lean one way or the other very soon. And I'm hoping it turns out for the best. The draft is in Montreal this summer. The last thing that anyone's going to want – is this just gray cloud hanging over everything? Um, but until, you know, something happens, we don't really know what it's going to be. We just got to kind of, you know, go with it. We will forever be here tied to this team where the podcast, myself at Eyes on the Prize, and as a fan of the team, and Laura's a fan of the team. Um, we do have another trade to announce, but we're going to get into that in our next segment, and no... It's not going to save the season. Save your sarcastic tweets. I've got it already. We'll get into our in the into that trade in the next segment. So, uh, just prior to puck drop, because apparently Mark Bergevin only likes to do things moments before games start. Uh, Michael McCarron was sent to the Nashville Predators organization in exchange for Laurent Dauphin, who they affectionately call him Flipper because his name sounds like Dolphin, apparently, so that immediately endears him to myself. Um, and it kind of, it it doesn't kind of bring that, it does bring the end to a very odd development period for Michael McCarron in uh, Montreal, where he was drafted, it seemed like a bit of a reach in 2013, when he was selected in the first round, and he had just... A very odd time. He had a very good rookie season in St. John's when they were still the Ice Caps. He got called up. Michel Therrien stuck him on the fourth line with no support. He got destroyed, only tried to fight to stay in the lineup, and then kind of lost his way in the AHL with Sylvain Lefebvre for years, racking up penalty minutes, not scoring, not doing much of anything. And then last year, it seemed like he got his game back under Joel Bouchard, then had to have shoulder surgery to fix a issue in there that he'd had been playing with for years. Then this year he came back, he was injured for a little bit, and he was playing decently well again, but seemed to be kind of be floating a little bit. And now he's in Nashville. They trade him for another 2013. He was a second-round pick, Dauphin. And it's just kind of one of those wipe-the-slate-clean kind of moves And from capfriendly.com, there is a tweet that kind of made a lot of Habs fans sit up and go, okay, there might have been a problem for the last decade. These are the Canadians' first-round picks from 2019 to 2016. Uh, Louis LeBlanc was not qualified, was actually traded to Anaheim on a conditional pick for a fifth-round pick. Uh, Jared Tenorti was eventually part of that John Scott trade. 
Nathan Beaulieu was traded on deadline day two years ago to the Sa- – or was traded to the Sabres, and then the Sabres traded him, I believe, to the Jets, if I'm not much mistaken. Alex Galchenyuk was traded for Max Domi, who was younger. That's a good trade. Michael McCarron today was traded for Laurent Dauphin. Nikita Sherbeck was waived, claimed by L.A., eventually not re-signed by L.A., went back to the KHL, and he is now dealing with a broken arm or broken collarbone, I believe. Noah Juleson is in the AHL, but he is dealing with major post-concussion syndromes. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev was traded for Jonathan Drouin, which is something that's turned out very well for them. And quite frankly, reading that, if that doesn't str- – and in that time frame, there was one AHL coach who dealt with most of these players. That was Sylvain Lefebvre. And we made it clear on this podcast the development wasn't there. And even though they made it out of the AHL – their NHL head coach for most of these players was Michel Therrien, who didn't know how to deploy young players. And if they couldn't survive the harsh deployment, they got sent to the press box. And it kind of makes it very obvious that Bergevin's big blind spot in this whole trade was, or in recent years was the ignoring of how prospects are supposed to develop in the minor leagues. And quite frankly, it's refreshing to see Joel Bouchard doing so well. But one has to hope that it's not too far gone to get some of these new prospects and fresh blood flowing through to kind of make up for what was years, almost a decade plus of just wasted development. So that's something that we have touched on a few times, you know, as as the podcast has gone on. It's definitely a weak point that the Habs have had not ready to call it something that they're done with at the moment. Obviously, it's very, very early uh, in the changes that they've made. And as much as we have praised Joel Bouchard and Alex Burrows for what they're doing with the young players at the moment, I think, like I would say that all of those players you mentioned, like they had such upside and the, I think for me, it's the number of them. Like you can, you always like people talk about how drafting is kind of a crapshoot and it is, it's fairly true. Scouting isn't an exact science. There's, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of players just don't reach their potential. And the Canadians got lucky in terms of a lot of players that they drafted in later rounds that turned out to be so, so good. But at the same time, it's something that it, it's suspicious. The number of players you called out is suspicious to me, especially given the short time frame. So whatever it is that they were doing wrong, they seem to have made some changes in the hopes that they would improve that. And like Michael McCarron for me is a specific, it's a specific case. Like when, when he was drafted, there were there were there were some question marks. People were like, "What?" There were a lot of people that said, "Oh, he's just being drafted because of his size." People had a lot of questions about he is uh, right out of the U.S. development program, right? And, and um, that you know, people people did they were suspicious of it. They they questioned it a lot, and and they still do actually. But in terms of you know specifically, I'm also thinking of Alex Galchenyuk. Like he was a third overall pick with so much talent, something is going wrong in the development. Something is missing. And for me, I would say that if we're looking at these young players that we're talking about right now, if we're looking at them in two years and they haven't played a 
a sizable chunk of NHL games, I would say like, you know, cause we're not talking about players that make the NHL and then like are in the bottom six or whatever. We're talking about players who like are not on this team anymore. They've like, I don't want to say failed out. It, like it, it, it makes it sound like it, it puts a lot of the onus on the player. And I think the organization as a whole does have that weakness. I think it's a pretty glaring weakness. So, you know, like, what do you do at this point? I think you wait it out and you see if Joel Bouchard and Alex Burroughs, uh, are able to kind of mold players in the way that we would want them in the NHL. Yeah. And McCarron did play in the U.S. development program. Then he transferred from Western Michigan to the OHL for whatever reason. But I, I can't help but think that changing uh, the coaching staff and the culture at the develop like it worked for the Toronto. I mean, look at how good the Marlies have been, and look at how good the Leafs have been. Look at Tampa Bay, how good their AHL system has been, and how good their NHL system is. You can't build at the top without building at the bottom first, and that starts with a good AHL club. And now it seems like they've got that. The Rocket are in a dogfight for a playoff spot. Joel Bouchard is. Working miracles with a lineup that has a bunch of player tryout AHL contracts and ECHL call-ups in it, and they're keeping play pace in the best division in the AHL right now against very good teams, and they've got the and they're doing it without Ryan Paling and Lucas Vedemo and Phil Verone and a couple of other options here. It's it's just frustrating to think this could have happened so much sooner. And it didn't. And for someone like Michael McCarron, this is a huge chance for him to get a fresh start. Milwaukee's a good club. And I look at the way the Predators have built their team. I can definitely see a role for him being that fourth line crash and bang kind of player for Nashville, especially now they've hired John Hines for some godforsaken reason. Um, it's a fresh start for him. And then Dauphin gets to go back to his home province, play in Quebec and probably immediately get put into a situation where he's more likely to possibly get a call up as the season goes on based on the way that he plays because the Canadians can make the room for him. Nashville might not have been able to do the same thing. The trade as a whole, it's not going to save the season. Laurent Dauphin is not going to save the season. Just like Ilya Kovalchuk is not magically going to save the season, but small little moves do make a difference. It's a move that'll help the rocket. Dauphin, is definitely going to be a welcome addition to the team. It's something fresh and new. And I hope Michael McCarron does well in Nashville. I know that he was loved by a lot of fans for the way that he played, but it's just another name to add to that list of, you know, draft picks or promising prospects who just didn't work out because their development was stunted or, you know, not handled properly. But that's a learning thing, and unfortunately, Mark Bergevin might have learned it a little bit too late, but he's at least made the steps to uh, correct that going forward, at least. And actually, I think that is going to be it for our episode today. We will be having our wonderful friend from Locked On Sharks tomorrow to discuss the suddenly red-hot 36-year-old Ilya Kovalchuk and his three points in two games for the Canadians. A little bit more of what we can expect from him. We will have um, plenty more to talk about. I'm sure that something else is probably going to be happening this week with the Canadians. I don't think anyone's going to be sitting too comfortably after these last two losses. 
And if you are worried about my dramatic reading of the Canadian National Anthem, that's going to happen on Friday with our mailbag episode where we're going to lighten it up a little bit. As always, I am at Scott Matlon on Twitter. Laura's at The Active Stick. You can find us at LO underscore Canadians. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts on Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Thank you so much for listening. And hopefully we'll have a Habs win to talk about at some point this week.